Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. If you start at no, you can never get to yes. But if you start with yes and you understand what the objectives are, you understand what your customers' needs are. And I think that is one of the things that if I could leave anything to to our folks or to the industry as a whole is recognize that your customers are your partners and that you're looking for ways to satisfy their needs, right? We're a service provider and we build projects for owners and deliver jobs to communities. That's really fundamentally what we do. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey there, welcome back, Solar Warrior. It is such a pleasure to have you here with us once again. Thanks for lending me your ears. And the only non-renewable resource that you've got, that is your time. I'm so grateful that you've chosen to invest in this time with us. If you're new here, I know you're going to get a ton of value out of this episode. I want to thank you for giving us a chance to earn your attention. Today's discussion is too much. It's too much of a story to be contained within the simple confines of one episode. So as with last week, this week, our executive profile, our deep dive into the career journey of another industry pioneer is in not one, but two episodes. What you're listening to right now is part one of George Hirschman, the founder CEO of Solve Energy, formerly Swinerton. And I hope that you will queue up both parts. I know that if you are like me, this is multiple runs or multiple loads of dishes or multiple laundry uh, rounds. However, it is that you break it up. I pray that you'll take the time to make it all the way through. It is so worth it. Believe me. As I mentioned, if you've been in the industry in the United States for any period of time on the larger scale side of the business, or if you're involved at all in the Solar Energy Industries Association, You've no doubt heard the name George Hirschman. He's the CEO of Solve Energy, formerly known as Swinerton Renewable Energy, which is the largest utility scale solar distributor in the United States. He has been in the industry itself, the solar industry that is, for more than 13 years. Prior to that, he spent his entire career in construction all the way back, as you'll hear, to the age of 15, building fences and learning how things get put together. George has an unbelievable depth of experience a wide expertise in everything from energy issues to trade policy, construction projects, et cetera, et cetera. He has served now as a two-time chairman of the executive board for SIA. And he also is just someone who many in the industry have learned from and learned to love. I'm really excited about the chance to hear about George's more than 30 years of construction expertise and to bring the story of Swinerton Renewable Energy and Solve to Life through this interview. Thank you for giving us a chance to take you through this journey today. Among the many things you're going to learn today is how George thinks about building a long duration company, a company that is that can be around and enduring for as long as the parent company, Swinerton Builders, has been around in the construction industry. You hear quips like we don't build schools we open schools it's a mindset shift that george plants in so many ways into his team and it's one of the reasons why they have among the highest retention in the industry i really enjoy every chance i get to just sit at the feet of a guy like george and better understand how our industry came about if that is something that you also enjoy well you are surely in the right place because that is what suncast is all about we meet here twice a week on Tuesdays. It's shorter form conversations, usually around 30 minutes. And and uh, on Thursdays, they're getting longer, but they're so good, aren't they? Uh, these long form executive profiles of the founders, the executives that are building the clean energy economy 
guys like George Hirschman. We've got almost 500 of these episodes under our belt now, and you can find out more about each guest and get a lot of the goodies from each episode along with the show notes at mysuncast.com. That's also how you can access the back catalog of those episodes prior to, I think, episode 200, which uh, are cached now. They're no longer in Spotify and some of the other players, but you can search them and find them easily at mysuncast.com. I hope you go check it out. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, for part one of this powerful conversation here on Suncast. Well, folks, it has been a long time coming. I have long wanted to interview the CEO of Solve Energy, who has been at the organization for more than 25 years in its iterations. We were laughing before we pressed record that he's now carrying a, a new business card for the first time in a couple of decades. And there is so much to unpack here that I hope we can get it all done in the the span of an hour. And if not, I may have to ask him back. But without any further ado, let me invite George Hirschman, CEO of Solve Energy, to the show. Well, thanks a lot, Nico. I appreciate uh, the time and happy to be here. There are so many different aspects to being a leader in a company, being a CEO, building something from scratch. We talk a lot on this show about entrepreneurship and startup, and we also talk about intrapreneurship. So we're going to talk, for those unfamiliar with Swinnerton and Solve, we're going to talk about both of those topics today. But I often find that there are characteristics that are born within us that even early in life show signs that we are somehow destined for one direction or another. And then some folks like myself maybe didn't sell candy on the corner, but, but just had this desire always to move into entrepreneurship. When you were young, were there any particular early signs that you were sort of built for leadership or that you had this entrepreneurial bug, this startup bug? Yeah. You know, I, I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family, right? I, I, I'm a product of the, the 80s in Los Angeles. My dad was in real estate and banking. My mom was a, a interior designer. It's only my sister and I. She ended up as a graphic designer uh, with her own business. Our entrepreneurship was supported at an early age. Uh, my parents always encouraged us to find our own way, look for opportunities to to do things a bit differently. So it wasn't a, it wasn't at all a nine to five type of existence and we didn't grow up that way. And so, and they encouraged us to try and they supported us when we failed. And I think that that started at such an early age that it really turned out, you know, really created an environment where this was almost inevitable that my sister would own her own very established graphic design firm and that I would, you know, continue a path that ultimately got me to solve energy mm -hmm. because I never felt like if I failed, I didn't have a soft landing spot with my parents. Right. So I always felt like they were encouraging uh, us to try, you know, look for unique paths. And it's, it's probably created, at least in me, somebody that's maybe optimistic to a fault. I almost don't think that there's anything that we can't do. And I think I've pushed my team in that regard. I say, you know, start with yes and, and figure it out. And that's because I, I really grew up that way. I want to explore a bit this idea around failure because failure and a fear of failure is something that prevents greatness for most people, it prevents them from succeeding in life, from taking on challenges, something that you as a leader, no doubt confront every single day within the team. You mentioned your parents gave you a soft landing spot. Can you help me understand for you either psychologically or in, or in reality, kind of what does that mean for you? What did it mean for you in terms of your decided, your, your willingness to take risks? It allowed me to understand that it was okay to take business risks and to try things and know that at the end of the day, you're going to have the two people that know you the most and care about you the most support you in that endeavor, whether you succeeded in it or failed. 
I was always in the construction industry. I can't remember when I wasn't, when I was, you know, in, in 15 years old and building fences for neighbors and doing odd projects and trying things. And so I've always felt it to be a very creative outlet for me. I also grew up in a household where your grade in art was probably more important than your grade in math. We were painting in our in our basement when we were young and my my mom was um an accomplished artist and a and a an amazing interior designer and so she she always supported our creative side and that's ultimately what ended up i think for both my sister and i who um again she's a great graphic designer and has done amazing work over the years with very accomplished clients and i always felt like like the building was my creative outlet and so i tried that for many you know so i for a long time and i had you know and and i had some some success along the way and i had some failures along the way i tried i tried a uh residential commercial a residential construction company early on that was successful for a for a time but but ultimately it was um the wrong fit and and ultimately the business ended up failing and we ended up going in different directions. Uh, ultimately, that that put me into a position at Swinnerton, which was a very good fit for me. But I, for a long time, I felt like it was going to be a bit of a port in a storm um, that I would tr- ultimately try another business again. I was lucky enough to find a, a path within Swinnerton that, that allowed me to continue to grow and a business and a team within a business. So it ultimately gave me that entrepreneurial spirit. But that kind of inherent belief that that failure is okay and that you know you need to use those to grow and learn from those experiences really helped me continue to to grow Swinnerton Renewable Energy in, in the face of what was, you know, headwinds along the way, whether they, whether they be part of just growing a unique business inside of a very traditional business. Obviously, you can recognize that there's, there's headwinds that are caused internally and externally because of those things. And continuing to push through that noise because you recognize that, again, if you, if you fail and it doesn't work out, there'll be another path. And so that gives you some ability to be much more of a risk taker. You have built a tremendous team, a team that's stuck around. We're going to look at sort of two ends of this conversation at the same time, because I think it relates here. Your parents gave you this sense of confidence and certainty that even in the face of failure, there's success that seems to me like the goal orientation versus the growth orientation was more towards be creative and and grow and the goals will align themselves. How as the CEO uh, and president of Swinish and Renewable and now CEO of Solve, how how have you incorporated that into the culture of your company as it's, you know, it's a huge, how many employees do you have right now? We have just under a thousand full-time employees now. thousand employees. So, you know, you can't possibly know every single person. You know, the whole, the very, the very nature of the way a tribe works is once it gets over 150 people, you kind of got to start breaking it down into silos so that it's more manageable. How have you thought about indoctrinating that culture with this idea that you can fail forward? Well, I think the, the good news is we have been able to build our organization with a very low turnover rate. And mm-hmm. so that, so our, the team that, that started with me 14 years ago, uh, the vast majority of them are still here, and that's unique in uh, the solar industry. You've been in the solar industry long enough to know that, you know, the the vast majority of people have stayed in the industry, but have multiple business cards and have you know come and gone uh, with different companies. The Swinnerton team and now the Solve Energy team has remained consistent, and so they unfortunately have been been listening to my you know, my positive rants and and just sheer belief that we can do anything for years. And sometimes I've beat it into them. And, but I've also recognized that I needed to fill my team with 
people with different viewpoints too, right? Because as risk adverse as some of my team are, they're a good counterbalance to me who, you know, if I loaded my car full of people that were like me, we'd drive the thing off the cliff. And so I need to make sure that I've got a team that has different viewpoints and we can respect that as well. And I can, I can continue to push them and maybe get them to places where they're a bit uncomfortable, but you know, there's a, a boundary there that we never cross and they can keep me a little bit in the rail as well. And so, so that's a good counterbalance to have that kind of team around you, because I think with any, any team, you don't want to get into groupthink, right? And I want to be part of this team. I'm, I'm happy to be, you know, to be, to represent it. I'm happy to be the face of it, but this is a team of people and we've built this together. And so we all have strengths that we bring to the table. And so I just get to voice mine a little bit more sometimes. And uh, I tell them that, I tell them that even with my opinion, I have them outnumbered. Right. I have them all outnumbered. Doesn't matter how many of them are, are, uh, are, are, you know, taking a, a less risky view at, uh, at our growth. Um, I tell them that, you know, I'll outnumber them still just by myself because, uh, because that's how, that's how positive I am about this industry and this organization. And so I always tell folks, you know, lead with yes. There's always an opportunity to figure out, you know, to get to know, that you will go down the path and find out that, you know, maybe something is just absolutely not worth doing. But if you start at no, you can never get to yes. But if you start with yes and you understand what the objectives are, you understand what your customers' needs are. And I think that is one of the things that if I could leave anything to to our folks or to the, the industry as a whole is recognize that your customers are your partners and that you're looking for ways to satisfy their needs, right? We're a service provider at the end of the day. We can, we can say we, we built great projects or we service, you know, our O&M group is, you know, has nine gigawatts or, you know, we'll talk again in, you know, five years and we'll have hopefully 50 gigawatts of projects under management. But at the end of the day, we're just a service provider right? We don't create a widget that, you know, that we have a patent on. We are a service provider. We take really good technology and we deploy it better than anybody else. And we build projects for owners and deliver jobs to communities. That's really fundamentally what we do. And so if we look at it as a service provider, and recognize that we are entrusted to deliver somebody else's dream, then it makes the process much easier, right? I think we sometimes get wrapped around this, you know, we're a construction company and we're engineers and we do, we need to act a certain way. But at the end of the day, we're not, we're really just a service provider. And I just tell my folks all the time, just remember customer service first. Remember that we want to be the place where people want to work with us. And that makes it really easy, right? Then you're not outselling because otherwise you commoditize the product, right? Construction gets commoditized quickly when people start to believe that all they're getting is a product at the end of the day and not a service. Services are much harder to commoditize, right? When you go, you'll you'll pay extra for good service. Not that I'm saying that we're going to drive costs up, but we don't have to be the low cost provider. In fact, I tell people we're not the low cost provider. That's not the market that or the business that we've built. We're going to provide you the best service at the right price. And if you can build your business around that, you're going to be hugely successful. Completely agree. What are some examples of companies outside of the industry that inspire you and you're learning from them and adapting their approach to your business? Uh, I'm just curious, a lot of folks will draw examples, right? And I, I know one of the things that came to my mind as you were talking is Jeff Bezos says at Amazon that he prefers to find people who have changed their mind about something, right? He, he doesn't believe that consistency of thought leads to great leadership. He believes that 
the ability to have rigor of thought is important, but to have diverse thought is equally important. And to actually change your mind on something suggests that you are primed for growth and you're not going to stagnate. So I'm curious, are there companies you know, like Amazon that inspire you and that you think, oh, I've actually taken something I learned from this company and adapted it to the way we work in solar? You know, I don't know that I've looked at, you know, a specific company model and said, because I, I, I think that's an interesting way of looking at things sometimes. And, and you know, I think that when I, you know, I've read um, the, you know, Starbucks effect and I think what of Google's book, because I am interested in how some of these transformational companies have become just part of you know, just part of everyday life, right? When you think about like, what would you do without Google these days? Or what would, you know, it's, it's you know, I'm, uh, I'm happy to drink a 7-Eleven coffee, um, but, you know, I know my wife will drive across town for a Starbucks. Um, and so, you know, you start to think about these companies that have just become kind of transformational in your life, right? That you can't imagine how they, they just, they just are there all the time. And, and it's because not that they don't have competition, but it's because the service aspect of it. Right. And so I always come back to it's it, you go there because the quality of their product is, um, is first rate, but there's a bunch of first rate product out there. You go, the, you go to these companies because of their service, because you know that they're gonna, they're gonna provide, you know, the, the service with a smile type of days, right? And so those are the things that I, I think are really interesting is how can you um, you create things that are pretty traditional, right? And it's in, you know, I mean, uh, obviously Google's transformational now because we, we wouldn't, um, you know, a search engine was so different, but that, but there's a whole bunch of search engines and we, we can, you know, take something as, as, you know, simple as that service and make it, make it just part of your life. And, and, you know, you can sell, you can sell coffee and you can change, you know, you can change a culture. Those are things that you can, again, go get at a, at a corner store or make at home. And so you look at those, I think are, are unique. I like, um, you know, I like, I like a lot of things that Tesla has done, right? Tesla has, there are, pluses and minuses and people that love Tesla and don't have, have other, uh, and can, you know, point to, to different issues, but you cannot deny that they changed the, the car market, right. And that they've made people think differently about how they're going to use transportation, their personal transportation. And now they've moved an entire industry away from the combustion engine. Right. I mean, those are things that are just unique how they can do that. And and those are things that I look at and say, okay, I've got a pretty traditional company at the end of the day. We, you know, we pound posts in the ground, we put racking together, we install product. It's a you know, it's it's construction-based company. But how are we going to do that different? How are we going to develop that that service different? How are we going to interact with our our partners, which are customers and our vendors and build relationships in an industry that is traditionally as far behind from a tech technology standpoint, right? So, you know, we have, we have as many programmers, right? As we have project managers and that's because we believe in technology and we want to do it different, right? So right. we develop our, our, and when you say sunscreen. industry, you're referring you're referring to construction as an industry, not construction energy. as an industry, right? Yeah. And and you know, and that's that's where I think we're in a unique position where we're we straddle the two, and I think that has a lot to do with why we've made changes in our organization. We recognize that the the you know the unique opportunity to build a a renewable energy company inside of a construction company was was great for a period of time, but at some point we had to, if we were going to move from a construction-based EPC to a service and technology-based EPC, we were going to have to move to a next, you know, the next stage in our 
in our company, which is what we did moving moving from the traditional Swinerton platform to a you know investor-owned standalone uh, platform. And uh, for those unfamiliar, he's referring to Solve Energy, which we'll get to in a minute. Yeah. I want to uh, I want to just take a minute and and back up for those who are perhaps haven't had any exposure to probably the utility scale side of our industry. And for those who are familiar with more of a traditional Suncast interview, when you had the venture that you said didn't go well, I just want to be clear, was that a business that you started or was it a company that you had gone to work for? No, it was a company that I started with a partner gotcha. um, at, a, cool. at a relatively young age. We got into the custom residential business. Mm-hmm. Spec homes. Um, spec homes. Um, mm-hmm. Some build, to, mainly build the suit. And, you know, we just, it, it was a, we, we developed or delivered a good product. Um, it just was kind of wrong time, wrong place. Yeah. Ultimately, ultimately the, the two of us as partners who have remained friends, the two of us partners split off. I went to Swinerton. That business continued to kind of move forward in a slightly different state and has done really well. And he's been mm-hmm. very successful in it. Um, it just was what we were looking to do and areas we were trying to go did not, you know, wasn't, wasn't the right fit ultimately. You said when you got to Swinerton that you thought it was a port in the storm, right? Uh, and so I wanted to come back to your comment and also be able to tie it back in to this, the idea that there's, there's a lot, there is a lot of similarity, especially for folks who uh, have been in multiple companies of, of entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs being those who stand up businesses inside of existing companies. It wasn't day one that you were asked to begin a renewable energy business at this large contractor. So can you paint the picture for what Swinerton looked like when you joined in 19, what was it, 95, 97? Uh, yeah, 97. So I started with the construction management group which was a, at the time, a very a smaller portion of our, of our business, uh, was a fairly small group at the time. There was about 30 of us uh, within inside of Swinerton that had a construction management business. So uh, just for those unfamiliar, Swinerton mm-hmm. has a general construction, traditional building business and had a, has a construction management division um, that was really starting up at the time. And so I joined as part of that group. So mm-hmm. it was the kind of the first, you know, startup within side of Swinerton that I was a part of. Mm-hmm. And we saw that, you know, I saw that group grow um, as one of the early employees. In fact, uh, the, the individual that hired me there, Don Davis, is probably still one of my, my greatest mentors, somebody that mm-hmm. believed in me early on saw my ability to, you know, manage projects and manage customers and and really interface on on what was a business that was intended to be um, the owner's representative, right? So I always told people as I started to move in that business and and ultimately became a division manager down in San Diego of that division, I always told our folks that were brought on that we are the voice of the project, right? That's what this business is, is that as a construction manager, the there's there's always three parties in a project, right? There's an owner, there's the contractor or the builder, and then there's the project as a separate entity. And as a construction manager, you don't work for the owner, you work for the project. You need to be the voice of the project and that ultimately is going to deliver the best project, right? Because that means that sometimes it puts you sometimes at odds with the contractor, but also sometimes puts you at odds with the owner, right? And you have to realize that what is in the best interest of that project is what your job is. And so I think that was a belief that I always had was that it's it's about the service. It's about the project that you're trying to deliver. I used to, we did a lot of that business managed for school districts and municipalities and and other public agencies and i also used to tell people we don't build schools we open schools right building a school is not, doesn't mean anything opening a school means everything right the door you know the lights come on the kids come to school the teachers are there 
It's about the facility building it for the service that it needs to provide. Hey, solar project owners and developers are infrequent field checks in your operations and maintenance plan and oversight. Do you need proper insight? Well, let data drive your maintenance. Our friends over at 60 Hertz are in the cloud so that you spend less time on the ground and their app is a snap. 60 Hertz in your pocket will help bring solar to the socket. You can learn more about how 60 Hertz can help your operations and maintenance plan at mysuncast.com forward slash 60HERTZ. That's 60 Hertz. Have you been curious about utility scale storage? SunGrow's revolutionary liquid-cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape. Its built-in DC-to-DC coupling combined with other features like higher energy density and 3% slower battery degradation make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash SunGrow. I love the visualization and the reframing. And I have to imagine your employees who are listening to this, your team members are thinking, oh, I've heard him say this kind of anecdote uh, hundreds of times. It, it for me is emblematic of the kind of leader that you are or perhaps you've become. And it's a mindset shift. It's thinking about the purpose of the work, not the goal of completing the work, right? Finishing a building is a goal to complete the building. But opening schools, that's a mission, right? And our entire industry is built not around deploying solar panels or steel. It is built around the mission of transitioning to a cleaner form of electricity. At what point did it become obvious or that there was an opportunity within Swinerton and within the industry and construction generally to move into this space called renewables and broadly or broadly renewables, but specifically solar? Well, in 2007, we started a project that was a first solar project that we did in our construction management group mm-hmm. is that we came in and, and helped support a, a smaller solar contractor build a project at a university here in San Diego. Mm-hmm. It was a um, carport project for UCSD. Oh, the, the Kyocera Solar Trees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So we came in and provided some management, some construction management technical support for that project. Cool. And that was, that was our first kind of step into solar. And so I started looking at that as a, um, a unique opportunity where we could provide some construction management support. Ultimately, you know, not too long after that, 2008 mm-hmm. hit and with the financial crisis, our construction management business, as well as our commercial construction business had, you know, was hugely impacted. A lot of financial, you know, customers on our commercial construction business, a lot of municipalities that were challenged financially during 2008. And so we started as a company looking at alternate markets Mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and, Part of it was selfishly was, was I was, you know, looking for a way to, to stay employed and keep my, my small team together. Mm-hmm. And so I carved out uh, a few key individuals and said, this California solar initiative is, is going strong. We have a good name in California, obviously is the oldest contractor in the state of California. Number one, right? Well, contractor's license number 92. 92 but it is the oldest active license still. Right. And so, you know, we said we have a good name. This is where the market is. Let's focus on um, building, you know, building a renewable energy group. Yeah. And, and if nothing else, it'll be a bridge out of a economic downturn. Yeah. And it'll keep some people employed. It is a big part of, of our ultimate message is that, you know, this group has stayed together and, Uniquely, as we even transitioned out of a company that, you know, folks had worked for for a long time, 100% of the people within our group transitioned over. Yeah. So we didn't, we had no attrition through a, a change in, in ownership structure. And I think that's a, that's really a testament to how close 
this team is and how strong the culture is. I feel like there's probably a lot of still questions around how you made just key decisions. So in 2008, you kind of got this thing going, saw traction. You at some point had to make a case internally for standing up a renewables division. And you mentioned that you transitioned from commercial to utility scale. How did that decision come about? Can you talk about the process of really figuring out where you were going to play in the in the in the industry? Because they're definitely at the same time, you've got a lot of companies expanding and most people won't recognize this, that from 2009 to 2012, it wasn't a foregone conclusion that the CNI market was super hard and it just wasn't going to scale like Resi and Utility. There were a ton of companies like being acquired by Morgan Stanley, being acquired by SoCal Edison that were making a big dent in the CNI space too, right? We're talking many multi-gigawatt portfolios of projects. Um, not, not the story we hear so much today, despite the fact that there are companies like that. But how did you come to that decision? We're going to go all in on like what we're really good at is we're going to build the best, and I'd say this is arguably true, the best and most established brand, high value service to build and deploy gigawatts of utility scale solar. So I think part of it, and I wish uh, I wish I could just say it was, you know, we had an epiphany one day and we we uh, we woke up and said, you know what, we're going to be better in utility scale market. Let's go for it. Right. Like you said, there, you know, in those early days, there was no real utility scale market. And so, you know, a lot of it just came through kind of the organic growth that happens with customer relationships. Yeah. We started, uh, we did some, you know, commercial generation projects. We started building a, a, you know, reasonable portfolio of commercial projects. And then there was a significant commercial project in California that was a, a program put together by Recurrent Energy at mm -hmm. the time. And that's where I first met Arno and Sheldon. Yeah. And it was for um, Kaiser Hospitals. And it was a program that they had set up with to deploy I think there was about 15 different Kaiser Hospital facilities where they were going to put solar through a PPA program. Yeah. And we had the ability to, because of our relationship as a commercial builder with, with Kaiser, we had built hospitals. Mm -hmm. You know, Swinerton had built hospitals and had a, a you know, medical group that was were really successfully working with Kaiser. And so we leveraged that relationship with Kaiser to, you know, to go in and work with Recurrent and say, look, because we know your host customer, we know how to work at your host customer's environment. We're the best, you know, we're, we're kind of the, the best of both worlds. We're a commercial construction company that yeah. understands your, your host and we build solar as well. So we ultimately built that program out and built a relationship with Recurrent. And then as Recurrent transitioned into one of what was really the earliest utility scale developers in California mm -hmm. and successfully developed a number of projects, we, we became a partner with them on a number of projects. So I think, you know, that again, kind of goes back to this, this service relationship is that we saw what our customers' um, businesses were changing, and we saw that we could change and support them as well. And it happened to work out that, you know, the utilities sector was better for us, right? We had the size and scale. We had people that understood how to build projects at those type of scale. And, you know, we understood the kind of logistics aspect of the business. And, and ultimately we just continue to focus on that. And, and then, you know, there's just a lot of spinoff in this industry, right? Mm -hmm. Where, where somebody goes somewhere else and that, you know, so the relationship continues to, to web out. I mean, I think that as we looked at our customer base just a, a year ago, as we went through this transition, you could almost connect the dots mm -hmm. between projects and customers almost every single job has some sort of related aspect to it. And that's the unique part of it is that, you know, you, you build relationships in this business and that turns into 
new job opportunities. I actually want to point something out that I'm so glad that we got here in the conversation. I had a, I had a sense that we would because the thing that I know about Swinerton in the marketplace as someone who worked in, you know, at Trina and, and at a number of other organizations developing down in Latin America was that Swinerton has just a deep relationship building culture. And I remembered who it was that introduced us. Bruce Keith introduced us. And sure. the importance of that is that those of our, our friends down in Latin America would recognize Bruce because he was the guy who was responsible for helping you guys build out the Latin America business or Swinerton. Ultimately, you guys have a huge business in North America, in the United States, but most people don't know how involved Swinerton actually has been in the Mexico market. And it's, if I'm not mistaken, you correct me if I'm wrong, entirely on the relationship that you have with Next Tracker, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, Next Tracker, we went to Mexico to support Next Tracker's business. Mm -hmm. uh, they ended up with a significant project where it was much more a kind of a European model where they sell product with installation. And so, you know, we had a longstanding relationship. I've known Dan for a long time. Uh, we deployed the, you know, gen, if it wasn't gen one, it was gen, you know, 1.1 of uh, Next Tracker early on. And so we started building a relationship with them and they ultimately asked us to go to Mexico and, and do the installation for, you know, 750 megawatt <laughs> AC large project. Anyone who knows the Mexico market knows exactly what project we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so we went down there. Ultimately, it, you know, it was a, it was a good project and it's, you know, it's, you know, deployed and, mm -hmm. and going. It just was a challenging market for us because, you know, we are, even though we're all over the country, we're still, we feel like we're a local business. And Mexico was a hard place to be a local business and didn't, didn't have the, the local ties and things that we needed to ultimately be successful there. And uh, the market is set up much different mm -hmm. and doesn't really need kind of the EPC model yeah. that really brings the highest value uh, to our customers. And at the end of the day, we only have so many resources, mm -hmm, even right. though we have a lot, um, we only have so many resources and we can better serve it in the communities of the U.S. So uh, for now, we're, you know, we're focused on the U.S. market. We've built a number of projects out in, you know, remote, you know, areas. Obviously, we've been to Hawaii and we've been to Mexico and, but the vast majority of our stuff is in the lower 48. You mentioned at the very beginning, you've built or have around nine, a little over nine gigawatts under management. Can you talk about the difference between building versus owning and operating? And the evolution of, first, I'd love to know the exact stat number sort of built that, that you've built as Swinerton Renewables and now Solve versus what you manage. And just talk, talk about the evolution of the company as an asset management company. Yeah, I'll have to get you the, the numbers seem to change so much. I think it's somewhere between, uh, it's, it's between eight and nine on the build side. Yeah. And I think it's nine and 10 on the, on the operations and maintenance side, but you know, one thing that we saw early on is that as we were building out our initial utility scale projects is we understood this need to service the projects. Mm -hmm. And so we just looked internally and said, you know, we should be able to do this better than the groups that are out there. The only groups that were really doing it back then were the inverter companies. Yeah. And the inverter companies, you know, obviously really good around the, the inverter itself, but not just the overall plant maintenance. And we recognized that it was a service that we could provide to our customers, gave them assurance when they're going to, you know, the, the, the banking days were a lot different than when you're trying to get non-recourse debt on this new utility scale projects. So having a one, a builder like Swinerton and a operations and maintenance group that was, you know, owned by Swinerton and you could bring that to to a bank. It was a very, very bankable approach. You know, we also recognized that it one provided a service for the customers that they needed and provided us a great opportunity to just be stuck to those customers, right? It's because you sign a a 
construction projects are very transactional, right? You finish them 10 months, 12 months, you move on. But if you can sign a five-year agreement where you're interacting with that customer and building that relationship on the management side, it makes it very easy for those customers to just come to you to build their next plant. And so we saw this as kind of a, a value add and a stickiness factor that was much different. And then we found out that we we're damn good at it, right? We found out that our guys are passionate about managing the projects. They understand it. It allowed us to bring a technical aspect to our team um, that's much different. So we have a we have a best-in-class performance team. We have a world-class operations center here that supports the turning on of the plants back to our opening of a opening of a school scenario, right? Our our plants don't do anything unless they turn on at the end of the day, right? When at the, you know, at the end of the project. And so having a operations and maintenance team means that we have the biggest commissioning group in the country because I can draw on a hundred technicians to be able to commission and deploy a plant. I have a control room that's available to our EPC teams to ensure that we get plants online and we get them, you know, we we meet capacity tests and all those things. So we've been able to layer on all these value adds that come along with operations and maintenance. And so that's that's really kind of the the unique nature of who we are as an organization is that we have that much technical expertise, right? We're not, again, going back to not just being a, a builder, right? We want to be a service provider. And so uh, the O&M aspect gives us a huge ability to, to leverage that uh, to provide better EPC services. You know, I remember back uh, when we first met 2016, 17 timeframe at you know, breakfast at one of the SPIs or something, it was in the, in the solve sort of meeting room. Uh, and I think maybe they were co-located with Swinerton, but I remember just thinking to myself, like, I don't, I don't get, I don't understand this construction company and their software play, right? Like this solve. Cause it, I even perceived it as a platform, like a software platform trying to compete with three megawatt and with um, power hub and these guys, right. And power factors. And lo and behold, you know, now five years later, the entire business is called solve. Can you help me understand the reframing of the long-term strategy for solar installation and how that sort of tracks back to this very idea that this once I'll say commoditized construction business is now a very uh, profitable, very premium placement in the marketplace contractor. That is not a middle of the road contractor. You're the number one solar contractor in the United States. Well, you're right. Solve did start as a technology play Mm -hmm. initially. And, and part of it was because Early on, there were not a lot of great SCADA platforms available for the utility sector. And we realized that we had a huge amount of risk that we were relying on these very small kind of startup software companies to to build a SCADA platform that, that ultimately was the product we needed to turn a plan on and to verify its performance, which allowed us to get the the developer to get their tax equity and allowed us ultimately to satisfy our contractual obligations. So we thought at the time it made sense to bring some of those resources in-house and build a platform that we could rely on because we felt like it was it was at least controlled by us internally. I think we what we realized was we had built a very good back of house analytics tool that still exists today, what we call our vitals platform, which is used by our technicians, is used by our performance analyst teams, is still used in our control room, but it's not a customer facing SCADA platform that folks are used to seeing. And we weren't going to invest and try to compete in that market. And so We've spent our time building, you know, using a lot of the, the also's, NorCal's, you know, all the 
commercial products that are out in in the marketplace and then built a back of house analytic tools with our programmers that help support our performance and and operations and maintenance and that's where the value is for us and so it definitely started as a technology tool we recognized that as we continued to find our kind of sweet spot in operations and maintenance we solve became a management tool versus a monitoring tool kind of platform and then as we grew that name it became more and more industry known it became the largest operations and maintenance provider for a long time as well uh, before some of the recent roll-ups and so you know when we went through a the the naming and branding we bounced uh, as you can imagine you bounce all over the place and you and you ultimately end up where you started and said said solve is a great name it's something we own it's something the industry has already attributes to our team and what we're really trying to do is solve the energy problem and so solve energy seemed to be the right place to end up and so i'm i'm pretty excited about it i know our teams are excited about mm -hmm. it so and so now you're a completely separate entity from swinnerton yes so uh we completed a transaction with american securities is our investment partner now so American Securities is a private equity company that came in and ultimately purchased the renewable group, which happened to be two separate entities, was Solve, was a wholly owned company, which did operations and maintenance, and Swinerton Renewable Energy, which was a division of uh, Swinerton Builders. And then we merged those two together into a single company that is now principally owned by American Securities as the principal investor. And this new entity, I think one of the things that I have been grappling with is, and especially in this conversation, it's kind of twofold. Are you focused on asset management piece? And if so, does that mean that the construction business operates in service of the asset management team or are the services construction and O&M sold separately? They are both business lines are sold separately or can be sold separately. We do try to sell a complete service, an EPC and O&M uh, wrap together. We believe that's that brings the best value to our customer. About 80% of what we build, we now you know transition into a management contract. There's a portion of which we do not because you know some of our our customers are owner operators, right? So they have their own fleet of, of O&M. And some owners like to, you know, compete both pieces of the, uh, of the project. But we believe strongly that our best service is a, is a single service, EPC through O&M. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to get rid of the dual branding of the organization is that one, it was complicated for people to understand what was Swinerton Renewable Energy and what was what was Solve and how did they work together and they were separate companies. And so moving forward, we wanted to move them together as one entity. And so now they are a single company. We can share resources easily, you know, more easily. And it just culturally, even if you're the same company, but you wear different hats and you have different, you know, you have different business cards, you end up kind of getting into your tribal areas. And now we've broken that down by merging the organizations together. And I think, and I, it, it really delivers a better service and it's a better employee culture when both organizations understand they all, they all are in support of each other. So I wouldn't say that one is in support of the other. I think that we believe that, you know, long-term, it would be great to continue to grow the services business because those are long-term contracts and long-term stable revenue. And we're not as dependent on the transactional nature of, you know, the EPC business. The good news is the EPC business is, you know, is going, you know, is going up and to the right 
And, you know, the industry is growing so fast that, that both entities are growing at such a rapid rate that they're ultimately going to support this business and we don't need to be one in support of the other. I'm going to switch gears here. The last two years you've served as the chairman of our industry association, Solar Energy Industry Association, CIA, and you were just re-elected. Congratulations, by the way. It's a huge vote of confidence for everyone in the industry. And we all believe that, that it was the right choice. Uh, but you're the chairman of the board of directors now for a second term through 2024. Can you talk to me a bit about the, on the, fir- on the one hand, the importance with, you have so much going on <laughs> to take on the role of chairman of the board of directors for SIA, I imagine is, uh, is a lot of extra work. So talk to me about the importance of that involvement in the trade association. And then I'd like to hear some of what you might have to offer around the important policies that undergird our ability to grow in the next decade, um, you know, the solar plus decade goals, but the Build Back Better Act in particular, it offers our industry huge opportunities. So the why and then the the how part. I think the why is pretty simple. I believe in this industry. I feel like being a part of SIA is a port important for, you know, industry members and I honestly wish a lot more industry companies would be members of SIA and recognize the value uh, that they that they probably all receive and just don't recognize that that they should participate. But under Abby's leadership, I've seen that grow dramatically and I'm I'm happy with that. I think it's it's just an important voice for building our our industry and you know, if we build our industry, we are building our company as well. Our company is, you know, we have significant market share. We have large presence in the industry. And, you know, if not, then who, you know, I mean, if we're not going to participate and we're not going to lead from the, from the front, then who is, and it's an important voice to our customers and to our employees, right? If we're, if we're going to move this industry forward, We've got to have a voice at the table. And so I'm happy to serve my time as as board chair and lend my voice. That is an important voice, particularly around this administration. When we talk about you brought up the build back better. And you know, obviously we would have all have have loved to see that move forward by now. But I think we are of the belief that at least the energy and climate portions of a of a bill that will likely have a different name will move forward i think there's there is enough support to move the climate action which is is also a lot to do around renewable energy will move forward i think that the job creators in this industry need to be at the table so the administration understands how much opportunity can be created whether that be in union areas and also in non-union areas. So recognizing that we need to create jobs in every county of this country in renewables, and we need to build a system that allows it to work, you know, labor structures to work in every region. And I think we're there based on, you know, the final kind of language that had been moving forward around a prevailing wage structure for the ITC for projects over a single megawatt, which obviously is projects that we build, I think is a good spot to be able to provide, you know, good wages and quality jobs within renewables. And I think who else, who else can say that with as much credibility as, you know, as the largest employer in this space, right? So, you know, we have to, we have to be there at the table. And that's the part of the reason why I wanted to run again is that I recognized that it was just that job creation piece was such an important part of the message. All right, Solar Warrior. Well, that's a wrap on this part one of our conversation with George Hirschman, the CEO of Solve Energy. I'd love to know how this first part landed with you did it resonate when he talked about the early days at swinnerton 
and the ways that he thinks about establishing the mindset of his team. And I wonder what else stands out for you in in part one. We're going to dive into part two. It's already published. If you're listening to this, you can queue it up. Hope you'll go listen to it as well. If you're eager to keep learning, if you'd like to see some of the links from our research for this episode, you can check that out along with so many other links such as social media for George and his company over at mysuncast.com. That's also how you can listen to all the back catalog of episodes, as I mentioned in the intro. Since you're already going to be online, I'd love it if you'd take a moment to just share this episode with someone that you think would benefit from hearing it. Maybe they, like you, long to have a mentor in their life like George. I hope this episode has started to give you a sense of that for your own business and your own life. It's a treat for us, though, when we get to hear exactly how it landed, either in a comment on our posts on LinkedIn or if you go and share our stuff on your social media networks and tag us so that we know and can thank you for doing that. Before you go listen to part two, I want to thank our sponsors for helping make this content free to you. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. It's also how you can learn how you could partner with us to reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions twice a week, just like our sponsors currently do. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. <laughs>